One thing I was always taught when I started radio was your audience is not stupid. Your audience is actually very intelligent. So don't treat, don't talk to them like children. I've always lived by that. You know, so this whole clickbait thing that we have arrived at is so dangerous because I've spoken to journalists that there are journalists out there who get bonuses based on clicks. Clicks. If you were getting paid to get more kicks, you'd probably try to get more kicks and handball less. I tried. Yeah, right. Yeah, if I'm, but if I'm getting paid to get more clicks, that changes the way I write yeah. and report a story. G'day, guys. Welcome back to the Dylan Friends podcast. That was Sam McClure zeroing in on footy's fourth estate. Sam was good enough to join me this week to chat about life as a footy journalist in the digital age, the passion he has for sports journalism, and the code as a whole. Sam is a staple in the footy journalist landscape. He works in radio for SEN Sports today, on our TV screens on Channel 9's Footy Classified, and he also writes for The Age. If you haven't heard the name, you've certainly read and heard the stories he's been able to break over his career. I wanted to get him in to have a chat about what it's like being a journalist in today's game. It's bloody insightful and he gives awesome knowledge into the process of breaking stories and how much time goes into it. His pet hate of clickbait media. Some of the biggest stories being able to break, including the Adelaide preseason camp and much, much more. I certainly learn a lot and I hope you enjoyed this one as much as I did. Let's go. Welcome to the Dylan Friends Podcast. My name is Deborah, Dylan's mum. Strap yourselves in for some light-hearted and wholesome fun. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Sam McClure, welcome to the Dylan Friends podcast, my friend. Hello, Dill. I'm very excited for this, albeit a little bit uh, apprehensive about being the interviewee. Well, that's the case. You sure, isn't I can't it? just interview you. No, okay. no. Um, right. First of all, I'm not noteworthy enough to be interviewed anymore. I have nothing okay. interesting going on. Oh, well, the podcast. And, well, yes, but this was funny because I was thinking today. Obviously, you're one of the one of the best journo's in Australia. Um, <laughs> oh, come on! But we we say, you know, a lot of players can sometimes get upset with journo's. But I had a pretty good relationship with journo's. I never really got written about at all, and nothing negative <laughs> at all. It was more just the fact that really hurt me about journalism was at the end of the year this really hurt me and I want to get to the bottom of who makes these up was those articles where it was like safe like recontract or cut and I reckon every fucking year they just had me on that D-list and I was just like fuck me like I don't get written about at all but when you do you're just saying like you want to delist me and the worst thing is is not just the words it's the symbols they put next to them so yeah, it's a big, big red. X. It's a big cross. It's like we get it's it. Like Everyone nothing, knows what that means. Nothing positive has <laughs> ever been associated with the big cross. You want to be the green tick, exactly. Um, and it never really happened. So I suppose I think we do less of those now. I think. Well, I hope we should. Well, we because do. all the information is so quick now. So yeah. like, who breaks There's stories no. about delistings? The clubs are like are you delisted. And if, if you're getting delisted as well, no one really cares about you. And, and shout out to anyone who's been delisted this year. <laughs> I care about you, but I'm saying everyone else, not really. Um, mate, as I touched on, biggest name in AFL media. Okay, putting it out there. Uh, you're on Channel 9 with <laughs> That's right. Footy Classified, SEN Sports today, uh, Sports Day and The Age. Yep. Okay, three big, three big ones. Three big kahunas. <laughs> but mate, you're in my world now. <laughs> I'm not this, comfortable. This is podcasting. I feel very anxious, actually. This is your episode. This is my show. Okay. Okay. So yep. I just want to make that clear straight away. Don't think that this is going to be roles reversed. No. You're on. Um, mate, what's been happening? How's, it, how's your life been? Life's been good. Yeah. I mean, I've been one of the lucky ones throughout COVID because I can literally take my job anywhere as long as I've got a laptop. I mean, radio has been um, a little bit harder mm-hmm. doing eight weeks of 
of daily radio with actually no football on was I, I think back and like how we how did we get through that? What did we actually talk about? Um, but yeah, I mean, writing's been good. Still been doing a bit of TV, which has been fun. Um, I've been getting through it, mate. I'm a bit of a caged animal at home, to be honest. When we're in first lockdown, you know, it's like oh, we're having some fun. And second lockdown, I was like, I actually like I'm going to drive myself crazy and yeah. drive my partner crazy, which is probably the more important thing. I've seen as well. You've been having some toys. You've got some toys that you've sort of invested. Is this like a bit of a midlife crisis, what or to- is this what you've toys? got the motorbikes? <laughs> One of your motorbikes. Look at this Harley. I've seen you literally walking this. down, riding this big Harley <laughs> thrug bike down um, doing this chap laps up and down Chapel Street that's not true I've never taken it you've got leathers <laughs> nearly it's, it's unbelievable it's safe you meant to be a, a journo and you yeah no I'm I'm a bit I'm a bit different yeah. <laughs> I'm a little bit different I don't think I think many people actually know that yeah they just see me as this you know sort of guy who grew up loving footy and yeah. now's a journo and trying to ruin people's lives <laughs> but, um, I, yeah I'm a bit weird I love I love different things like you know the first thing I, I did when my last day of TV which is a couple of weeks ago the first thing I did the next day is just go to the hairdresser and just get a ridiculous haircut yeah like just because I could you know like I didn't have to be on TV I didn't have to be you know showing up for anything yes and I've always been obsessed with engines like I'm a bogan at heart trust me talk us through some of those What? because I've heard about a few of these <laughs> And some of these aren't like when you say you're rev head, like yeah, it's no not, offense, but they're not like no, the no. coolest cars. Yeah, it's not like, like I'm it's Charlie like Dixon more, in, in my garage like, fixing yeah. 1971 GTOs. You're yeah. more like Fast and Furious Tokyo drifts. Yeah. Like. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's true. Yeah, I had um, <laughs> had a little red Toyota 86. You know, remember those things you see around? <laughs> no, I don't. I yeah, don't it was that. like a little two door sports <laughs> car, right? And you can't. I could barely fit in it, let alone anyone else. My partner Nisha, we were sort of we were in the early stages. You know, first couple of years. Yeah. And I had that car. And she went away um, with her family for three months and she came back and we were in the garage and she went, oh, I, mean, who's, I was living in a share house at the time. Who's, whose car is this? I was like, no, no it's, um, I sort of went and bought it. There's <laughs> this pale blue. I think the official color is called a hyper blue Subaru WRX. Oh my God. With one of those, in a bit, so I've been lowered in big black rims, <laughs> had this big spoiler on the back. Like to the point where, like, if you looked in the rear vision mirror, you couldn't actually see anything but the spoiler. Why would you? When would you? I'm, I'm, cool? I'm, I'm weird, yeah. you know. Like, and, but I loved it. Yeah, like, I just no. loved it. And Can I'm, you see back now how people would have thought? Mm, probably not. Or you still like it? Oh yeah, no, no, I've, I've got rid of it. Okay, good. I think, yeah, Nisha won that battle. Good. Um, um, well, this actually moves into the next point because this is a little bit awkward ugh. because, and I haven't called any lawyers. We'll get into that later. <laughs> Doing research as I do. Last night, I go on your Instagram. Oh no. And I've got to shut that thing down. I see your bio and your bio says, be yourself. Everyone else is taken. <laughs> now that's fine. Cause that's, that's, that's a, I think it's quite nice. It's a great quote. Thanks. It's one of my favorite quotes, but yeah. did you know that that's the quote of this show? And it has been since the becoming of the ep- the show. Legitimately? Legitimately. Have you ever mentioned other episodes? <laughs> Have you? It's just kicking the teeth to me. It's just disrespect. When was the last episode you oh, mentioned yeah. this on? It's so ingrained; it doesn't have to be right. mentioned anymore. No, I actually, I actually didn't know that, and I'm embarrassed okay. to sit here today. Well, okay, we'll, we'll move on from that then. Um, I don't even know where I saw it. Yeah, well, it's a good it's quote. Been there for Oscar years. Wilde. Um, it's a funny one, be yourself, everyone else, but it's true when you think about it deeply. It's actually correct because you can only be who you are. Yeah. So, so. I, I embrace the the inner you know, Tokyo drift bogan in me. 
Fantastic. Um, mate, let's get into the show because I thought we've been chatting about this for a while. We've been lucky enough to know each other through a few mutual friends. Your yep. beautiful sister, Mads, who used to work at Carlton. Mm-hmm. And our close friend, Luca Ganano, who's just the goat of, uh, of, of radio. life, of, of radio producing. Yep. Yep. I suppose it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic being like an ex-person on a list to you know, a journo talking about a few things that's in the AFR world. Because for me, mm. as I said earlier, journalism's never really struck me too much because there was nothing to write about. Um, which is a good and bad thing, I suppose. But it really is polarising for a lot of people. Yeah. And it's it's a hard gig, I think, from the outside because in the AFL and even just in general, people want news, but people only want good news. Mm. And when you give people good news, they love you, but if you give someone news that they probably don't agree with, it's the opposite. Yeah. It's a tough gig. So why? What, firstly, what's your opinions on AFL media? I, I know that's a very broad question, I opinion. Yep. But what, what do you think it's a bit like at the moment and, and how have you found it this year especially? Yeah, I think it's out of control to be perfectly honest. I think it's gotten to a point where everyone just wants their information. So, and, and I'm saying, I'm not blaming the, the, the people who digest it, yep. you know, because it's the whole chicken and the egg thing. But we've got to a point, I think, with social media and the way that people get their information that any little tidbit, right, that comes out not only is it reported by everyone at the same time, but it's also accepted as fact as soon as one person says it. Mm. I've often joked about this with people at work that let's just say we tweeted something, you know, make up a story, just tweet it. How many other media outlets do you think would report it right before someone worked out? That's <laughs> actually not true. Yeah. Like if you, if you actually call the person involved, it's actually not true. And so, but that's where we've got to. And I don't know how we got there, but we're here. And it, like, forget whether it makes my job harder or easier. I just feel for the people that we, that we write about and that we report about, you know, like, I think that's the biggest thing for me in the last, you know, because I got into radio when I was 18, so I was a kid, you know, and going through a lot of different things in my life at the time. Now, at 29, you know, a decade later, my whole perspective has completely flipped on its head. I used to just think, you know, like, these players, they... They earn a million bucks, you know, they should be held to a higher account. If you don't like it, don't get into the industry. And now I'm the opposite. Mm. And it's just like, you know, I've built some relationships with some of these players and seen how tough their lives are, not only during footy, but away from footy, right? And the pressure that's put on them. And now I think, wow, you know, like we, we're too harsh at each end of the spectrum. We build these guys up to be bigger than the prime minister when they kick a goal to win, win a game. And then as soon as they make a mistake, be it they miss a pass or they stuff up off field or whatever, we, we villainize them, mm. you know? And it's like, no wonder that mental health in society is becoming a bigger issue because, you know, I think if you chat to any, anyone in psychology or psychiatry, they talk about the roller coaster of emotions and you don't want to ride the roller coaster. No. The highs and the lows, you want to make sure the difference between them is the smallest that it can be. So in answer to your original question, I think that we're in a really dangerous part in sports journalism, particularly in footy. You know, there's just too much out there and there's, there's, there's such an appetite for it, you Is know, it as well. Is it competitive as well? Like, are you always finding that with journos, obviously you've established yourself now, but that's through, been through, you know, a long journey of, yeah. of, of study and working your way up through the ranks. But now is it like a feeling of like younger people just want to go bang and just break a story straight away and get to the top and pass someone and just sort of shock people. Is yeah. That, is I, that a prevalent sort I, of thing? I think so. And like, I was like that when yeah. I was a kid, you know, when I was 22 and wanted to take on the world and rah, rah, rah. And, but 
now I'm like, I, I wonder if you, if you ask my 10 best friends or 10 people that knew me the best, you sound competitive. I bet you they'd all say yes. Mm. But when it comes to work, I'm, I'm really not like when Tom Morris or Tom Brown or Sam Landsberger or Daniel Tooney or one of these guys breaks a story, my first instinct is great yep. because the more that we break real and meaningful stories that actually hold weight, the better we're seen throughout the industry, I think. You know, employees pick up a story and even if some of them don't like it, as long as it's factual and it's true and it's written away that's responsible, I think that's great for our craft. It's when we, we make mistakes or like we go hard, too hard with an opinion that ends up backfiring or, you know, we, we say something that ends up being actually factually wrong. That that hurts us. So I'm, I'm competitive like everyone else, but I, I never think, I never really think to myself, damn, he got that story and I didn't. You know, unless I'd been working on the same thing at the same time and, mm. geez, it's who tweets it first, you know, is he 16 seconds in front of me? Like, is he going to get the credit? Like, I, don't, I actually don't think like that. I'm sure that people think that we do. I would, but I, like, but it, it, I feel like if that was my job, I would, you know, you'd want to get that out. Like, yeah. when you're writing a story, say you're, like, you're doing a piece and mm. you've got something in the works... Do you know if someone else is also doing that as well? Yeah, it's a great question. Oh, I think about this all the time, actually. Yeah. Um, no, you never know. You never know. Because we'll get into a few of your big stories later. And I'm just wondering, like, yeah. when, you're, when you're preparing for these things and these big things that are dropping, it's funny if you think, fuck, I'm on a timeline here, I've got to get this done, or you know you're the only person that's doing I th- it. I think, I reckon it depends on the story. Like, sometimes you'll know that there's just no way how you've got the story and what and what the story is there's no way that there's someone else working on this yeah. unless that person has gone and told you know yeah, another yeah, journal yeah, which yeah. is unlikely yeah. but then there's stuff that you know that you've, you're on a timeline so like I reckon at the start of this year I think it was before COVID hit someone called me and said mate there's a big story here in Sydney Buddy Franklin has just leaped off the training field and he basically had to be carried off by three blokes like he's torn his hamstring that badly that's like Okay, well, that, that's been seen by too many people, yeah. right? Like there's everyone on the list. All they have to do is tell a mate or tell a, tell their a, mom, tell tell a yeah. girlfriend. or yeah. Like it just gets out. Then there's trainers. And then, you know, the, the day that Johnny Patton did his last knee mm. at GWS, it, that story only came out because a construction worker who was working 200 metres away saw him go, because he made such a thud because he's such a big bloke. Yeah. And he looked over and oh, Johnny Patton's done his knee again. He texted a bloke who texted a bloke who called me and I, I, I rang the club. Wow. Yeah, like this is how... I don't believe that because <laughs> I don't think in Western Sydney anyone knows who the fuck we were when we were training. Yeah, but it's, <laughs> it, you know, it could have been a... No, I know, anyway. but that's, that's actually really interesting. So yeah. when that happened, is that actually how it works? You've just got people around... Then you've got to check things, right? Yeah. Because there's so much stuff. Like I reckon 80% of the stuff that I get told wrong. Right. So you've got to siphon through it. It's, it's, it's frustrating. It's part of it. Um, but yeah, so with the Franklin one, I was like, I've got to make sure it's right, but we've also got to get this out, you know? And, but then it's how you word it because the guy who told me it, he's done it really badly and he had three blokes carrying him off, it, Chinese whispers, it, maybe it was only just one trainer yeah. and he was just kind of walking off and he's only just pulled it and he's going to play this week. You know, like there's, there's fine lines that make big differences with stories. So then it's how you word it. You give yourself safeguards. Yeah. You know, Lance Franklin has appeared to injure himself at training. The exact circumstances are unknown. He's going for a scan. You know, you broaden it. So just on that as well, like you said, then you've, you've got to have clarification. You've got to call the club on these things. 
Oh, Again, it's it's hard. Bait of my existence, calling yeah, clubs. They would they wouldn't like that. I no, can imagine. No one ever answers when you need them to. But how many sort of confirmations do you actually have to run with a story? Um, it, or does it depend, like you said, on the wording of it? Yeah, you I'm, know something's sort of bubbling. And I feel like this might be why. And again, it's hard to talk specifics. We're not talking about a, sp- a specific case here. Like it's just mm. in general. Yeah, how many sort of people do you have to confirm with? And I suppose that's what I'm thinking now is why some people would get um, annoyed with journalists because they go, oh, are they, are they, and I'm playing devil's advocate here, are they actually sure this happened or are they yeah. just taking a hunch that something's happened? Yeah, well, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but take the Franklin one. You know, would some journos have printed that based on the conversation that they had with their source who apparently saw it. Maybe, I don't know. But I had to I had to be sure, like, you know, you take everything in consideration. It's arguably the biggest player in the game, biggest profile player in the game. Um, and you had to you had to check with the club. So I rang, I think it was Charlie Gardner at the time, head of footy, and he actually gave me a quote. So as soon as you've got something on the record, I think that's your confirmation. You know, that's all that that's all that you need. If you don't have stuff on the record, you need to get multiple people saying that you're right. Because if you if you're just basing it on one person that's not willing to go on the record and put their name to something, then ultimately it's your name that that becomes muddied if you get something wrong. So it's all risk versus reward. Like that's the, the whole craft is. And and the other thing is picking and choosing. You know, and I had some <laughs> I had some interesting situations this year. Um, where people accused me of picking and choosing. That's the whole thing is picking and choosing in my yeah. eyes. You know, like if if you wrote, if I wrote everything that I knew to be true, then geez, there'd be some interesting stories out there. But everything's about, you know, perspective and and is the juice worth the squeeze is always the, 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 the question I ask myself. The story about a player doing this, this and this, is it worth writing? Even though it's right, you know it's right, but it could ruin his career. Or it could mean that he's suspended for four weeks. When he, did he did he deserve to be? You know, like was it, no, probably not. Like so, I, I and I'm learning all the time. So I always find that asking yourself questions when you have a story is is the best outcome. That's a, that's a really interesting point. It's something that's that's obvious, but and I don't know if a lot of people would think this, but the amount of stuff that would come across your desk, yeah, and then the amount of stuff you actually go with, as you just said before. How many stories would you let slide? Yeah, I reckon it's eight in ten. Yep, I reckon it's eight in ten. And, and is that because when you not, say let slide, some of them sorry. end up being wrong? Yeah. Okay. So say you get ten stories. Yeah. Say there's times, obviously, through your career, and you've got good relationship with a lot of players. There's been times where you've gone, no, no I don't want to run with that because that this could harm in some way the relationship. The relationship. Yeah. It's hard as well because you're doing really well with your relationship there with the player, but then you're actually hurting your relationship with other media people yeah is that what it, it's like well, the toss up or no it's only really a toss up like it, well I don't, I don't really tell I, I mean apart from my editor I don't really tell other journos what I've got or what I'm working on unless you've got really close relationships but like I remember when I was starting at the age so I would have been 23 or something like that Caro said to me your job is not to make friends here your job is to find stories make sure that they're accurate and write them as precisely as you can and everything else is just noise. Now that sounds great in theory. And Caro is, has been so successful because she is so fearless. Extremely impressive. Like she's so- But she's um, so strong, she's consistent. Like, 
yeah. though. Like it's Com- like she doesn't, get, she doesn't care who you are. Like she's you know if if she's got an opinion, she'll do it. And that's yeah. like you've got to respect that in yeah. a way. And I love the people that come up to me. This happens so much more than you think it would. Yeah. Just be like you know they ask me what I do and. Oh, what do you think about that Caroline Wilson? You know, I just reckon I just cut them off hard before they can finish. Like, yeah. no, I actually, I get on really yeah. well with it. I really like it. Yep, she's yeah. one of my, you know, she's just someone that I look up to. Um, so anyway, getting back to what Caro said, she's forged an amazing career because of of, a, of statements like that. That without fear or favour, she just goes. She goes hard. I, I have found that, and maybe I'll grow into it. I don't know. I have found that particularly difficult the last few years, you know, because I think the biggest asset in the game of footy is, the, is its players. Without the players, there is no game. So I've tried to build as many relationships with players as I can. And also, I'm now around the same age as a lot of the players are, you know, and some of the senior players. And, you know, like we all make mistakes. We all do things we wish we shouldn't have. We all get into fights with clubs about money disputes or you know like it i always try to to see the person in the story but sometimes that clouds your judgment and it's really hard other times and i find um players are the best with you when if you're going to write about them i've just made this rule the last three years if you're writing about someone you have to call them you have to even if they don't answer even if they don't want to speak to you you got to try to call them and just say Hey, Dill, sorry to bother you. I'm sure the last, thing you, last person you want to hear from is a journo, but I'm writing about the fact that this week you're getting dropped and, you know, it's Sounds been... Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I, and I just wanted to, you know, let you know that this is... And I get varying responses. Yeah. Some are, well, uh, roll whatever you want, mate. I, please don't call me again. Bang. Yeah. Others are, oh, well, yeah, thanks for talking to me. Uh, thanks for ringing me. No one's ever rung me before. Yeah. Um, I won't comment if that's okay. And then there's the one that's like, oh, well, yeah, I'm happy to talk to you. You know, like this is the reason I'm getting dropped. And like, I love what I do, but I find it really challenging on a personal level. And there's been some stories that, you know, I haven't slept with because I think, you know, is it my duty to report this or is it my duty to, to not protect, yeah. but to understand and empathize with these, with these players. And I think ultimately the answer is, 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 is in the middle um, but yeah, it's yeah. I look at people like Caro, and I look at people like like Jake Nile and Mick Warner, and I'm just like, these guys are unbelievable. You know, like I've been doing this for since I was 18. You know, really, and I'm still <laughs> I'm still asking for advice. I'm mm. I still feel like a like a kid. Really, there's only in my in my 11 years, there's only been one story that I've known about that I thought would come out, and it didn't. Wow. Yep. So that's still not out. No. Nah. And I think about it every week. Let's talk about it. No. Nah. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, jeez. So how, I'm not, I, just, I don't even want to break And I've this. never told anyone about it. It's good. I don't even want to know what it is because I, I don't like knowing secrets because I'm not good at keeping them. <laughs> what, um, how long ago was this? Like it's a, a footy thing? Uh, yeah, in the last five years. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Don't even know where to start with it. Well, that sounds interesting. Um, <laughs> it is. Yeah. Okay. No, but, but it's like, yeah, I, it's what I find what I do really hard and, I, and I'm not saying that it is hard. I'm, and I'm not saying that people shouldn't get into it. Not at all. I'm just saying on a personal level, you know, and I think, and you could probably attest to this, you see your life and you see your job through different lenses based on what you're going through at the time in, in your other part of your mm. life, I reckon. And then 
you know, like as a 22 year old, I'm a different person to what I'm as a 29 year old. So I, I see things completely differently. If you'd asked me five years ago, like, you know, what do you want to do? I just, I just want to break stories. If you'd asked me now, what do I want to do? I just, I want to, I want to listen to stories. Yeah. You so know? your ideal sort of role now be like journalism, like writing articles, writing stories? Yeah. Yeah. And that might, that might be outside of sport ultimately, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know. I, when I was little, all I wanted to do was tell people stories. You know, that's all I wanted to do. I was, and, I, and I used to love listening to stories. And like, if I, you know, if my parents ever took me to the theatre, like I'd just obsessed with someone telling me a story. Yeah. Same, I'd go to the movies. Like, so just for me, it just became about stories. Um, and then, you know, going right back to what you asked me about at the start is, you know, where we're at in footy media. Sometimes I think to myself, maybe I do need a, a break or maybe, you know, just for a couple of years pivot and do... You know, when I started at the Red w, I was doing police rounds and courts and all that sort of, and I loved it because it was different. Um, so, yeah, ultimately, I just want to hone my craft as a journo. That's all I want to be. That's all I've ever wanted to be. Um, so I think I'll just continue to do that. What that looks like going forward with footy, I'm not sure. Let's talk about that quickly because I know it's a massive part of your life. Why Why journalism? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, my old man, Jeff, was a, was a journalist. Um, and he was an editor and then a sports journalist and then a writer. And so when I grew up, that's kind of all I ever knew. And you, we talk about stories. Like mm. my first memories as a kid, are my parents telling stories at the dinner table. That's, that's as far back as I can remember, you know? And, and I still have visions as a kid of being driven around in the car and just in the back, not being able to see who was driving, obviously, you know, it was mum or dad and just listening to stories. And that's what it became for me. Um, and then when I was old enough to go to the footy, I'd go with, with dad, you know, and he was, um, unfortunately, he was a Carlton supporter because it meant that I had to become a Carlton supporter and endure the pain of the last 20 years. <laughs> um, but, and so like, you know, the amount of questions I get, are you related to Mark McClure? Like, no, I'm not. <laughs> we actually spell our name differently. It's not the same McClure. Uh, but he, Mark and, and my dad, Jeff, were actually good mates. So it was quite funny at the time. Yeah. They used to joke about who spelt the name wrong and right. Um, but yeah, the, like my earliest memories of footy were, was being next to dad after the siren had gone, MCG, Princess Park, wave, wave, wherever, and just being in the rooms after. Back in the day when you didn't really need accreditation, they could just sneak kids yeah. in. And, and I kind of like just stand in the corner and you know, watch Steve Kernahan and Craig Bradley walk past and Stephen Silvani and... So, yeah, before I even kind of knew it, like I was ensconced in, in sports journalism. So that's probably where it, where it started. Um, and then, so dad got sick when I was 15 and he had a, a pretty long and torturous battle with cancer and he died when I was 18. So that was a tough period of my life because, you know, you're a young man, you, you're growing up, you feel like you're older than you are. And then half your life gets kind of ripped ripped out right in front of you, you know? And, and the hardest thing was, is that he was sick for so long that people kind of expected that I had the chance to say goodbye to him or, mm. you know, like that I had some sort of closure, but it was still one day he was there and the next day he wasn't, you know? And so that was, so I was, I was 18 then and I was just going into, just finished school, just going into uni. And I didn't want to be a journalist at this stage. Like I was interested in it. But I actually, I wanted to be an actor. Like I, I loved um, theatre. I was in, embarrassingly, I was in several musicals in school. Nah, that's cool. 
Yeah. Trust me. I wish I did that, but keep going. So I, so I, I was obsessed with theatre, right? I did drama and theatre studies at school, all that sort of stuff. Um, so as soon as I left school, I tried out for NIDA and in Sydney and the VCA here in Victoria. Didn't get in into either. Really? Yep. And I still was like, oh, it's fine. You know, I'll be an actor. <laughs> you know, my sister was living overseas at the time, Maddie. And um, so I was, it was just me and mum. And mum was like, you know, old school parents. Just like, okay, well, you better find a job to, yeah. you know, to, to have money. It's like, yeah, good point. So I, I rang around different radio stations and actually that's how Luca got me my first start in journalism. He was producing Tom Elliott on the weekend break and they needed someone to come in and answer the phones. And I was like, great, you know? And I, so I, I came in and answered phones and met Tom. And then all of a sudden I was, I was, um, I was, OB assistant, which was outside broadcast assistant. So literally my job was they gave me a hundred dollars in an envelope and they'd sent me out to um, wherever it was. Say it was Federation Square because Neil Mitchell's doing a, a, an OB from there, an outside broadcast. Whatever Neil or his guests need at any stage, you go get it for him, pay with his cash, keep the receipts, write down everything, give us the change afterwards. I was like, great, awesome. You know, like I did that for six months. Like my job was yeah. literally sitting <laughs> in the back of the, of the caravan. Yeah. And then someone was like, where's that kid? I, can, I, can I get a strong latte, please? Can I get it? Yeah, no worries. Yep. And so I did that for all the different shows. But you know what? The great thing it did is it, it, it introduced me to people. Sort of like, so three months later, they were like, oh, you know, Sam's here. Just we'll get Sam to go get a sandwich. And, and so six months later, you know, um, they needed someone permanently to answer phones on shows. Then they needed someone to produce. Then a spot came up in the newsroom and I was studying journalism at the time. And I was like, well, what better way to learn? And so then I went into a radio newsroom and worked there for a few years and um, it just went from there. It kind of, it, it just, it accidentally kind of gathered momentum. Like, you know, this, uh, <laughs> where I've got to today isn't some, um, some long plotted idea of, you know, what I want to do. It just, it just kind of evolved. You've, yeah, but you've, you've done the runs on the board and I suppose that's what's the biggest part, isn't it? Like I, I literally followed in your footsteps of that. Like when I finished at Carlton, I went and worked at 3AW answering the phones. Yeah. Which is just like... Name a, a, name a suburb. Oh, it's it's a John from Rover, mate. It sucks. Like, I'm, it is so hard. It is so hard. It's and all these people want to do is just complain. Is. And you're just like, oh my God, what the hell? Like, it's a very tough job. It actually is. Very tough job. Yep. Um, but you learn so much, as you said, and it's um, it's a really good start. And you obviously did it really well, mate. Better than I did anyway. I didn't last that long. I'm 99% <laughs> sure I got sacked. But I just, it was really it's you a funny me, story. You and me both. Funny story for another time. What was your first big story? Do you remember breaking your first big story? I don't know if this was my first, but it was certainly early on when I started at um, The Age. It was, I remember, <laughs> if I could only tell you where this story came from, it would make the story so much better, but I can't because <laughs> this guy's still around. But I was speaking to someone, not about footy, right? And he said, um, oh yeah, Gary Ablett is, uh, yeah, you know, he's tried to leave, tried to go back to Geelong. And I was like, Sorry? What do you mean he tried to go back to Geelong? Like he's their captain. This is when he didn't leave Gold Coast. This is before when he tried to leave. Ah. So I remember I rang someone at Gold Coast. In fact, you know who I rang? I rang Rodney Eade. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I just, because I was working on the story with Caro, because when I was this, this age, right, I'd get a story and I'd be like, what am I going to do with this? Yeah. What am I going to do? I don't have all the contacts. To, so I used to like go to Michael Gleeson and Jake Nolan and Caro and be like, this is the story that I've got. Can you help me? 
And she said, just call Ronnie Ait. Just, just call him and put it to him. Did Gary Ablett try to leave? And Rocket answered straight away. It's like, oh, uh, Sam McClure from um, the Asian newspaper in Melbourne. And, hey, guys, Sam. Oh, I'm just working on this story that uh, Gary Ablett, he tried to... Ah, oh, yeah, no, yeah, he wanted to trade back to Geelong, but we just said no. <sighs> he just gave it to you. <laughs> but like, you know what though? Like, that's what—that's who Rocket is. Yeah, just just honest and like had relationships with the media, and and so Caro and I wrote this this story that was that was on the back page, and it's my first back page story. And it was like Gary Ablett has tried to bail out of the Gold Coast Suns and asked for a trade home to Geelong, and it was. It was thwarted by the Suns, who refused to trade him. And it was a big story for like three days. And I remember waking up the next morning, and it was on radio. Like I think they were talking about it on SEN. And I was like, oh, I didn't... Like, I knew it was a good story, but I didn't think it had... And they got his manager on, and Liam Pickering was... I think Liam Pickering got asked by Hutchie about it a few days later on, on radio. And Pickers said something to the effect of, well, I'm glad to see that Caro and Sam are only eight weeks behind or something like that. You know, like, that wasn't he, was, he was expecting yeah, okay. people to, um, to get it. So, so that gave me a real kind of, what it showed me was that there's lots of stories out there. And just because you haven't heard of them, like the best stories you haven't heard. Just on that, breaking a story, what does that actually, does it just give you probably like the more of the notoriety of breaking the story or does it actually, when someone after, talks about it after, they have to say this was broken by yeah, I don't think it's the second part. Like some do, some don't, which is fine either way. I think, I think it's just newspapers to me, you know, like when I was growing up, we had a long path that went down the side of our house. It used to, in the morning, I'd go down and get the Herald Sun and the Age. This is before Twitter and, you know, Facebook and all that sort of stuff. Come, come into the house, go to the kitchen bench. You remember the plastic they were rolled in? And sometimes I get do the paper round, right? Well, sometimes I get so frustrated with the the, the, the plastic, like I just get the scissors or like a big knife <laughs> and just rip through it. And then my dad used to do this thing where, like, he'd fold the paper in half one way and he'd put a big crease in his hand, and then he'd fold it the other way, big crease, so I'd straighten it out. And all I'd do straight away is I'd flip from front to back on both papers, and usually there'd be a back page lead by Mike Sheen and back page lead by Caroline Wilson, and I'd read both and I'd be obsessed because I knew that they were giving me information that I didn't already have. And when I started on, on sports day with, with Jared Healy, my first stint at Thread Up here, he just used to say to me, as long as you can come on air and give me one piece of information that I didn't already know, you've done your job. And so that's what I used to try to do is that like, forget breaking stories and trying to be first. Like, I think that's the byproduct of, of, of what you're doing. What you're doing is actually providing people with information about what you're writing that they didn't already know before. What about the pressure of that though? If, if and I, I again, I'm a bit naive to how journalism works. I'm assuming every week would Mike Sheen and Caroline Wilson have to have a story. Yeah, I get asked this question a lot, and it's it's completely fair. Um, no, is the answer no. like there's more pressure on chief footy writers because yep. they're supposed to be across the big issues. But there are many days that go past for me at the age that I don't write anything. Yeah. So does that but mean- But I've made 16 phone calls and I've written four yes. pages of notes and- Well, you, you probably don't want to be, if you're doing too many articles, it might not be yeah. the right thing. You might be- That's right. Missing out on other things or- And this comes back to what you asked me at the start about where are we at the moment? I think that a lot of blame goes to young journos coming through who want to be part of the industry and just, just writing stuff. 
whatever it is, just write stuff that'll get people interested, it'll go on the blog, whatever it is. What you got to remember is that they're, they're answerable to bosses that are saying, we need X amount of stories to provide X amount of clicks to show our advertisers that- Money's there. Right. Yeah. I am blessed because I have the best boss in, in the entire world, Chloe Salto, who's my sports editor. Shout out. Who, she knows. If I, if I go three days without writing a story, she'll be like, that's all right. I know he's made the calls. I know there's something in the works. I know that you know he's, he's doing the work. But if there's not a story there, I don't want you to write it. Yeah. You know, so I try to make, and when you're young and you haven't got the contacts, you just go to press conferences because that's a way of getting content and, ma- and making contacts. But now I, I just try to wait for the, the bigger stories to look into and in, try to investigate. And, you know, there's, I mean, there's been stories that's, that have taken me 18 months. Have you got anything in the works at the moment? I do. Yeah, I do. I think it's, I think it'll be interesting yeah. and newsworthy. How, when will that be? Like, is it a, is it a timeline? Uh, it depends thing, when this person it? sits down and talks to me. Oh, okay. So it's someone you've got to get down. Yeah. He's so interesting. It's yeah. So interesting. I just don't know what that is. It's, it's, it's hard. And depending on the person, like okay. it's sometimes you've got to be the most annoying person in the world. Yeah. Like I've got a guy that at the moment, I literally text the same word to him every day, just as a reminder. And he laughs, like he's fine with it. It's not like, it's not, yeah. I'm not creepy. Yeah, okay. Sounds a bit creepy. <laughs> and there's, there's other people that I'll just be like, come on. Yeah. It's, time, it's, it's, time, it's time you talk. You're going to have to talk at some stage. Come on. Why don't you just come Absolutely. talk to me? Let's watch this space. Yeah. Um, let's talk about your career. What are some of your most proudest moments in, in your journalism career? Oh, some of the stories wow. you've broke. I know there's some really um, big, exciting ones that I've got here, but is there any, anything else stick out to you? No, I mean- I'm not trying to avoid the question, but I, I really, apart from a couple that stand out, I, I don't think too much about stories that I've written because um, <laughs> my co-host, Jared Healy, which by the way, on my Instagram, before it was be yourself, everyone else is taken. Before, be Jared Healy. Before that quote, yeah. it was something else. It was, and I was thinking about getting this tattooed actually, although my mum would actually just, she'd just murder me if I got a tattoo, which was never drop in. Never look back. So Jared, for those who don't know, and he'd probably hate me saying this publicly, is an avid surfer, like insane surfer. And I've actually gone down to um, Bells and watched him surf and he goes out further than the young guys. Seriously, would not have ever pictured that. No, no, like every day, surfs harder and faster and bigger waves than anyone. He told me one day, I thanked him for a story. He, He gave me a tip on a story and I wrote it. And I thanked him one day and he just looked at me and said, never drop in, never look back. And he never explained what it meant. But so I decided to do it for myself. And I was like, never drop in. So like if someone's on a wave, let them have, that's their wave, right? Let them do, let them do their thing. And never look back. I took as when you, when you come off a good wave, don't, don't spend the next 30 seconds thinking about how good that wave was because you probably missed the next one. So I've, like, I oh, think okay. about that every day, to be honest. Um, so when you talk about what are my proudest moments, my proudest moments are, are just being on a show. You know, like when I was a kid, the only thing I listened to was throughout W Sports Day or Sports Today as it was then called. Six or seven, Jared and Dwayne. It was awesome. Like I was obsessed with it. And then I started working on it, you know, behind the scenes. Then they gave me a little spot at 6.15 to do, you know, try to break news. And now I'm 
you know, I'm lucky enough to be co-hosting with Jared. And I take, so I take great pride in that, that someone in the industry has thought of me in the regard that they think I'm worthy enough of at least being a co-host with Jared. That like, that's what I take pride in. That for me is, is huge to, to be able to have a byline on a newspaper like The Age. Like I take great pride in because not many, not everyone can, can have that. Um, and there's great, there are great journos out there much better than me that haven't had bylines in newspapers for, for different reasons. And sometimes life's just about a little bit of luck um, to, to host footy classified, you know, has been, has been huge for me because again, like I'm comfortable hosting and I have a weird thing where I don't really get nervous when I probably should. But the fact that someone at channel nine thought I'd be okay hosting that show, you know, that have had an awesome host like Hutchie and Gary Lyon and, you know, people that are TV greats that I take pride in that, in those things. Mm. No, it must give you a lot of a lot of confidence, man, and a lot of uh, you know really proud of yourself for for getting to that. Because, like you said, it's it's a tough industry to break into, and, yeah. and especially at your age, I think like you you'd be probably one of the youngest guys that are you know sort of cemented himself in the yeah in probably the too young in the end, Pro- yeah. probably too young. I probably should have done some other stuff. Sometimes yeah. I think that you know maybe it's a little bit a little bit too much. No, I think you learn on the go and I think like you said, you just keep adapting and learning to the things that work for you. But um, I'm going to bring up a couple of stories because mm. incredibly you broke the story about the Adelaide training camp. Yeah. Which was pretty crazy in itself. Like that, I still don't really understand what, what happened there. I've been watching SAS a lot. <laughs> I'm not trying to make this into a joke, but like I have been watching that show. Thinking about it. And it's bringing back and yeah. I was like, fuck me, that is hectic yeah these other guys like i don't know what happened there but it must have been a lot sort of you know pretty crazy but how did that all come about man like because obviously there was a, a bit of a saga that happened at a training camp yep and then there was rumblings of some unhappiness yeah and then it sort of went away yep yep that's what happened and then what happened i decided to investigate really i mean at the time you don't see it as that you're just trying to find out what happened um and I spoke to a lot of people on the periphery, you know, like people who had spoken to people that were there of, you know, apparently this happened and apparently this happened. And I started, I was like, okay, I need to put a timeline together here and work out what's misinformation and what's not. And then I said to myself, I just have to, I have to speak to the people that were there. I'm just going to have to find out numbers, the old school, old fashioned way and just cold call people. And a lot of people hung up and some people answered and some people spoke and then it was like, you can't write this and no, I'm not happy. And then they'd hang up after two minutes and then you'd ring them back th- two days later. And it was, you know, like th- there's a lot of conjecture around um, this camp. And I think I'm still going through a little bit of it um, in a work sense, but that, that camp was, it was never about, a lot of people think that I believe that this camp was, was meant to harm people. Mm. It wasn't. I'm sure that these people had the best intentions. I'm positive that they did. But some of the worst things that have ever happened uh, started with the best intentions. And there wasn't, if there were 40 guys that went on the camp, it wasn't 40 that were upset by it. It probably wasn't even 20. But when you, when you go, when you're, and I haven't been a, a footy player like you have, but I assume that when you go on camps like this, the overall desired outcome is that everyone is better because of it. Mm. Because if you have factions in groups, particularly in clubs, you, it doesn't work, right? Everyone needs to be on the same page. 
And there was a number of players who were scarred by it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I talked before about the story that took me 18 months. This took me 18 months, you know, to be able to speak to enough players with the promise of a- anonymity to be able to tell me what happened on that camp was, was big. And it, 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 it sapped a lot of energy out of me. <laughs> I, can't, I can't imagine what it did to these players. Um, and some of the trauma is, is still ongoing. Um, you know, the, the guys collective mind who, who ran it, uh, absolutely matter of fact that they didn't do anything um, illegal, they didn't do anything bad, that everyone loved the camp. Um, and I think, yeah, there's still some issues that will play out legally. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't regret anything that I did or wrote about that story and I wouldn't take back one syllable of it. I can imagine like writing that, so 18 months. Obviously a lot of prep goes in, you're fact-checking, speaking to everyone. Mm. What's the feeling like before dropping it? Oh, like it's just illness. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's like you just swallowed a full apple. Yeah. And you're just sitting on the couch feeling sick and you just... Yeah. I, I remember I... Um, Oh, so I've only ever bought one paper with the, with the thought of what's my story going to look like. I'm a bit weird like that. You know, we go back to my weirdness with cars. Mm-hmm. I've never watched myself back on TV and I know that I should. Like my bosses oh, are listening saying, to this yeah. now being like, how is he not, how's he going to get better if he's not watching himself back? I just can't watch myself. Cause you know, like you think, what are you doing with your hair, mate? Your forehead's the size of an airplane runway, you know, like. Talking about me. <laughs> 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 no, that would be just the man in the mirror. Yeah, okay. uh, and so, yeah, I went, I, the day it dropped, I went around to the local milk bar and bought the paper and I saw it and I was like, I just re- was relieved, relieved that it was out and done. And, and then of course, you know, there was the reaction. Um, yeah. What's the reaction like? Oh, mixed mate. Mixed. Yeah. I mean, I think it depends on who you speak to, to be honest, but I had a lot of players reach out that were really happy with, with how it was portrayed. Um, had a lot of people reach out that were unhappy, not not the people that were involved in the story, but by you know people in in in, in Adelaide in particular. Um, and that, yeah, the, the hardest thing for me with that, without being self indulgent, was just the 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 harassment on social media mm. from from people in Adelaide. And I've always maintained that like Adelaide supporters are some of the most loyal supporters, you know, like absolutely rigid would, would would walk over hot coals for their club supporters in the league as far as I'm concerned um, but they were they were upset they were upset that that this story was making their football club look incompetent you know look like they, they fell asleep at the wheel and let people into their club that you know ultimately hurt them but like it comes back to that one of the original questions that you asked you know like you can you can never please everyone. And I had to fall back on, I'm sure this upset a lot of people, but it's a story that had to be told. You know, these players were put through a lot. Um, And so, yeah, I had to, I had to, had some challenges with with social media and, you know, with quitting Facebook and all that sort of stuff and the messages that came through. Um, But that that comes with the territory to to a degree. Let's, let's talk about that because that must be a pretty prevalent thing in your life like I can we, we talk a lot about AFL players copying um, a lot of abuse mm. but I feel like one part of AFL you've got a lot of people that sort of support you and then there's also a lot of people where they're really against you I feel like journal, journalism sometimes one of those things that it's like you, you're sort of devil's advocate 
like you're doing, you're asking the questions that people want to know, mm. but they, they, they're so happy to read it and want to know it, but then they'll still slam you for producing it. Yeah. Particularly when it's written about people that they care about. Yeah. And that, like that's the hardest thing. So how do you deal with that? Like how bad, well, first question is how bad is some of this social media abuse? If you're happy to talk about that. Yeah, like, no, I am. Uh, it's real bad, real yeah. bad. Yeah. I got a, a couple of, a couple of death threats. Um, how would like what through social media or yeah, Instagram messaging, Facebook messaging, the, they the two biggest ones. People that you can see their actual profile. Yeah. Right? And like people that are holding kids in their profile photos. And 101, like, if you're going to threaten to kill someone, you don't <laughs> leave your profile um, there. Yeah. And then what do you do with that? I just ignore it. I think the best thing was to ignore. If I had, if I got one now, I'd go to the police, but then I didn't. Um, I probably should have. The hardest thing is the hardest thing that I found is you don't want to tell anyone because it doesn't really impact me. Like I just know that people get angry and they say things they don't mean, and ultimately it doesn't impact my life and all my mental health. But if I share that with with Nisha, my partner, or with with Maddie, or with my mum, even if I I'd share it as a joke, can I be on the couch? <laughs> Look what this guy said to me. They they get really upset really upset and I learned that the hard way and they don't want to see it but they also want to know about it you know it's a really hard balance so I now just basically anyone that I don't know that messages I just before I even open it I just swipe and delete and it's hard because sometimes it, it, you know, people write really nice messages and I got a lot of, I get a lot of emails because I put my email on my Instagram from kids that are finishing school and they're like how did you get into journalism and I want to try to help them um, but yeah some of the hate is just it's vitriolic and it, it surprises me sometimes. Um, but I'm lucky because I think what I've been through previously in life, I've got a fairly good perspective on what's important and what's not. And I've built a pretty thick skin. So I'm able to just to fob it off a little bit. And you know what the funny thing is, is that say, say there's 500 messages of, of hate, right? Since the last 10 years, not one person has ever walked up to me in the street and said anything like that or anything even half half bad you know like the one time that someone has approached me was i was at the richmond club hotel on swan street this <laughs> a couple of years ago and i just sat down for dinner with one of my best mates we we're having a beer and this guy walked past with like a tray of must have had like eight pints on it and he clearly had a couple it was it was daytime so he'd been in the sun and he was having a grand old time and he walked past and he sort of looked at me and then kept walking and then stopped and it just he just walked back in reverse, like holding this. And he looked at me and he said, you know what, Sam, you know what, you know what? No, 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 come here, you know what? I know that most people think that you're a prick, but I actually don't mind you. <laughs> and he walked off. And my mate Jack at the time thought, he said to me, that is far and beyond the best thing that has ever happened in my life. Yeah. <laughs> and it's I, I laughed. backhanded compliment, isn't it? Yeah, but I took it, I took it really positively yeah. because, you know, like I'm very, aware, very well aware of what people must think of me. But there's also not that many people that know me very well. So I, I, I've learned to just deal with, there's a group of people whose opinion of me I deeply respect and everyone else it's like, well, you know, people are going to think what they're going to think. Through this as well, and this is a question I, I don't know the answer to. Like, can you regret something? Have you ever put regretted anything you put out? Yep. Early days, have you ever like gone? Nah, I probably shouldn't have done that. Yeah, definitely. On this topic, have you had any other um, run-ins with any other players where you've <laughs> gone like they've said 
this is a story I want to run it I don't now like has anything changed or have you sort of eased over them yeah there was actually there was a story at the start of this year actually I won't name the player um, about a guy who's it was a really fascinating story because of the timing of an injury and the timing of when he signed a contract he, he was basically losing hundreds of thousands of dollars and like one of the really good players in the competition was probably earning just over average or something like that like it was the financial differences would were, were huge and i went back to my rule and i was like okay i'm writing about this guy i'm gonna have to ring him so i got his number rang him he's like really appreciate you ringing what you're telling me is, is true that story is true it was just it was bad luck you know this is what happened here this is when i signed this is why i'm earning less and I said, okay, well, you know, I'm going to write it. And he said, well, okay, well, I don't want any, you know, you haven't spoken to me, you don't want any quotes. So I wrote it and it was like, it was a good story. It's going to be on the back page. And he rang me back a few hours later and said, I don't want you to write it anymore. I had to think about it and I just don't, I don't need the attention. And I was like, well, mate, I've, like, I've, I've already written it. Like, you know, I've told my editor about it. He's like, well, you decide, you decide whether you write it or not. So I didn't. So I rang my editor and I explained the situation. I was like, I just, it's not worth it. Like it's like, we can either run this tomorrow and this guy will always remember that he asked me not to and I still did, or we leave it. And then the next time I ring him, he'll think, that's right, I can trust him because Mm. I actually, he rang me, I gave him the info, I gave him the green light and then I changed my mind and he still didn't. That's pretty huge. You've made a massively correct call there because- as a past player, not that I would have ever getting journos chasing me, but the more you be, not to be seen to be looking after players and getting them out of trouble, but people respect that. And then like you said earlier, they come back to you when they've actually got something and they want to tell you something. Yep. And that like, for me, that's the hardest thing. That's the toe the line. That's the hardest line to toe. When is it okay to annoy them and go against what they want? And write it because you can't you can't have it all the other way, right? You can't have if the biggest story in the world broke and then you rang the bloke and he said, "No, no, no please don't write it." You can't listen to him on that occasion. You have to, like you have to do my job. But when is it okay to be like, okay, I can I can forego that because I think that there are circumstances around it which which provide context. But you know, the next time that I call or the next time that you want your story told, I'm hoping that you would come to me, you know, as someone that you can trust. What would you want? a member of the general public that, you know, consumes AFL media, that, you know, loves footy, that reads articles, what would you want them to know about journalism rather than the fact that, like, people are out to get people or they're just here to write stories? Yeah, I think the vast, not without speaking on anyone's behalf, I I would think that the vast majority of people get into journalism because they want to tell true and accurate and interesting stories that people read and that better their days. Um, I think ultimately that's what we all want to do. Some stories are really hard to write. Some stories are easy. That's just the reality. And, you know, like also, I don't know if you if you know or read Richard Baker and Nick McKenzie, um, the investigative reporters from The Age, and the stuff that they've been writing about hotel quarantine and what's happened in Afghanistan with these killings. And it's like, I read these stories 
And I'm just like, these are life-changing mm. stories. I write about footy. You know, like, and I, I love what I do. And it's, I understand it's important in the footy industry and all that sort of stuff. But let's provide some context a little bit here and some perspective. How yeah, important it actually, yeah. We, we write about, we write about footy, about, we write about players. We are there because of the game, not the other way around. In terms of media now, and I know we've touched on it, in your eyes, is there any negatives there that you'd like to see gone? Is there like pet peeves that you don't like about your own industry? Yeah, clickbait. Yeah. You know what I hate? I hate when, um, oh, I'll give you an example. When Jack Stephen retired, was it last week, I think? Yep. And everyone knew that he'd retired and think, sorry, St Kilda, Geelong put out a press release. I think St Kilda did as well, given that he was a five-time BNF winner, being like, you know, Jack's decided, cool time in his career, wonderful player, blah, blah, blah. I remember seeing a headline on a newspaper site, which was, Jack Stephen has made a call on whether he's playing or not next year. It's like, you really think we're that dumb that we have to click on it to, like... One thing I was always taught when I started radio was your audience is not stupid. Your audience is actually very intelligent. So don't treat, don't talk to them like children. I've always lived by that. You know, so this whole clickbait thing that we have arrived at is so dangerous. And just on that, you touched on that before because I had never thought about it in this aspect. But basically that clickbait is to click to show advertisers yeah. to then get paid. Yeah, so... That's what it is. It's so to make money. It doesn't happen at the age. Yeah. And I'm not going to talk on behalf of, of, of other news outlets, but I know for a fact, because I've spoken to journalists, that there are journalists out there who get bonuses based on... Clicks. Clicks. So it's like, if, if you're getting paid, if you were getting paid to get more kicks, you'd probably try to get more kicks oh and handball less. I tried. Yeah, right. Yeah. If I'm, but if I'm getting paid to get more clicks, that changes the way I write yeah. and report a story. Yeah. So it's really dangerous. So I actually reckon, whether it's in one year or 100 years, I don't know, I reckon we'll get to a point where a media owner will come out and say, you know what? I am happy to make this amount less if it means we can improve the quality. Because we can all make less money. We can. We just have to make it. It's just really hard being like, I am now pouring 20% of that revenue out the window and someone else can go and get it. Looks it looks like that's, that's why sort of reputable newspapers now do um, subscriptions. Yep. Because they're losing money through the other ways. That's right. So, but I just reckon there's, there's going to have, COVID hasn't helped this, but there's going to have to be a point. I think there'll be a turning point where they, we go back the other way and just go, you know what? Instead of putting out 25 stories an hour and putting it into sport, we're going to do six stories a day and they're all going to be a thousand words and they're all going to be high quality with facts and quotes and when we tweet them out and put them on facebook and instagram they will be there available as they are not not no leading hashtags Mm. no clickbait no trying to put a a stupid photo on something so someone clicks on it the biggest stat that i think that gets overlooked with newspapers in particular is time spent that's the biggest stat. Time spent reading. Time spent reading. You want you want the higher that is, you know that it's good yeah. because people are actually people read it. People are reading are reading further. They want to know more. Oh, it's incredible, mate. Um, I can't thank you enough for your insight today. It has been mate, very exciting. insightful. It's very um, exciting, honestly, has. And I think I hope that it's given insight for you as well because I know your role is tough and you're you're doing 
something that you love, but sometimes people can see that as you're out there to do something that you're not meaning to do. But yeah. I know that you're doing that in a good way. Yeah, we, we're not we're not out there trying to trying to hurt people. In fact, I think we most of the time we're trying to do the opposite. But we get perceived in a certain way um, by people, and that's fine. By the way, you know, people are going to think what they want to think. Tough man, I'll give it to you. Like the resilience of a journo would have to be up there with this with AFL, like a, an elite sportsman. Nearly, uh, like it, I don't know how players do it. I don't. I don't know how they their image has just become public I property. Suppose, yeah, the only thing that's different. Well, yeah. Well, the only thing that's different between a player is you're getting judged on your performance. Yeah. Whereas a journo, that's your opinion. So you, it's sort of like you're getting judged on your opinion. Whereas a footy player gets judged on their performance being that's not actually if they're playing bad doesn't mean they're a bad person yeah you know what I mean yeah I do I do and then there's getting judged on what we were talking about before on yeah. news can't believe you wrote that yeah, well that's just you dog. I think most people understand that that's uh, quite silly to finish up what's next for your career man because you're, you're so young and you've done so much yeah. already um, you should be extremely proud of yourself what, what's what's next for you what do you want to move into you're doing a lot at the moment obviously as we said we've got the age Footy classified, yep. um, sports day. What's next? Short answer is I don't know. The longer answer is I just want to kind of keep developing different parts of my writing. Um, every time I pick up the paper, I'm blown away by how good the quality of writing is. And I think, how am I, how am I writing? I can't write like these people. So I'd like, to, I'd like to do some short courses, write more. I'd love to do some creative writing um, and just keep keep speaking to people, keep interviewing people. I'm really lucky what I do in radio because we get to do that for a couple of hours every night, Jared and I, which is great. Um, and then whatever happens with, with TV will, will happen. It's exciting times, man. I can't thank you enough for coming on, sharing your insight. Um, no, thanks for having me. No, as you said, man, you've done, you've done a lot. And um, yeah, it's really exciting to get in. I think it's going to open up a lot of minds, even mine. You know, there were so many questions there that I didn't know the answer to. And just getting a backstory into the media and how it actually works not as a whole. There's definitely different. <laughs> the media. The media. I'm gonna write. I'm gonna write a movie one day. The I'm media. Call it the media. No, it's uh, it's been awesome, mate. Thank you so much. Thanks, Can't Dil. thank you enough, and um, look forward to catching up for a few beers soon. Thanks, mate. Thanks for listening to the Dylan Friends podcast. If you liked it, it'd be a massive help if you could subscribe, rate, and leave a review. I'll even give you a kiss. The show is produced by Dylan Buckley and Sam Bonza. Damon Jackman from Creative Edge Film is responsible for audio and visual editing. Samuel Kenny Creative looks after graphics and animation, and the podcast is recorded at the Dylan Friends studio, which sounds fancy, but really, a friend had a spare room at his office, and I took it over. If you'd like to get in contact to suggest a guest or advertise with the Dylan Friends podcast, you can email us at inquiries at dylanfriends.com, which will also be in the show notes. Thanks so much for tuning in. Fellas, this one's for you. I know we're all in quarantine, but that doesn't mean we need to stop taking care of ourselves.
We've all been guilty of letting things slide of late, but in saying that, it's time to get back on track. And that means being well-groomed. Dylan Friends This Week is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped has only just launched in Australia, so now you can be one of the first to experience their life-changing products here in Australia. Water-resistant, 90-minute shaves, and LED lights, just to name a few specs. We've all heard some horror stories of not using the right products, so let's look after ourselves with Manscaped. You'll be a new man. So jump on board, get 20% off, plus free shipping with the code DILL123 at manscaped.com. The link will be in the show notes.